Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. He clears it up and explains it even more in verse 24. Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. We read 23 and we bash on people and stop talking about money. If you got money, you bad. Actually, when you look at the way the Hebrew culture was disturbed, they, they talk about it. We, there's another one that we, we uh, misquote. The, the love of money is the root of all evil or money is the root of all evil. The text actually says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's not the money that's a problem. The problem is how you feel about it. The problem is what kind of priority you place on it. The problem is what you do with the money. Scripture will come from the gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter, starting with the 17th verse. Again, that is the gospel according to Mark, 10th chapter, starting with the 17th verse. It asks all those who are physically able to please stand. Again, that is gospel according to Mark, tenth uh, chapter, seventeenth verse. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Now he was going out on the road. One came running, knelt before him, and asked him, "Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life?" So Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, uh, that is God." You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother, uh, your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus said, looking at him, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, 
There is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. So two weeks ago, discipleship was hard or you need to cut it. And last week, relationships are hard. Uh, This week, still staying in the same passages of scripture going around, discipleship is costly. Discipleship is costly. I'm a big technology guy. I love to figure out how things work, and and I love to watch technology companies. Uh, I love to watch the way they do business and see how they uh, do things. You know, everybody likes to look at the NASDAQ and the Dow 100 to, to, to see what's going on with the economy. I tend to pay attention to the technology companies. Uh, to see what's going on. And if the technology companies are all right, then I think we're really all right. Why? Because the technology makes things comfortable. Uh, The Dow Jones can drop 800 points in one day, but people are still paying $800 for their iPhone. We can go without a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, uh, allow us to go somewhere where there's no Wi-Fi. There, I, I, I remember having a conversation with a coworker, and I used to have a uh, when I was working for Houston Works, I used to have a little dongle that I could stick into my computer, and it gave me um, internet access no matter where I went. And we used to go back and forth about this because he said, uh, "Why are you paying sixty dollars a month for that dongle when Wi-Fi is everywhere?" And I told him Wi-Fi wasn't everywhere. At the time, I was pastoring a church out in East Columbia. Wasn't no Wi-Fi at that church. So if I needed to download something, I, I needed to have it. And so we, we are, I say I pay attention to technology because we are creatures of comfort. And technology makes stuff more comfortable. Sure is nice to be able to drive from place to place. Now, now we, 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 we ride horses for fun around here. Yeah. You go on a trail ride as a vacation. You, you get in a car if you need to go far, a plane or a train if you need to go further. And we would not give up those creature comforts mm-hmm. for nothing. No, sir. We like things to be comfortable. So I watch what's going on with technology companies. Uh, There's one technology company I pay attention to pretty particularly, uh, Google. Uh, Google is one of the most creative technology companies out there and supposedly one of the most fun to work for. I see all of these uh, articles and videos about them. You know, you can go to work and they'll, you know, they'll babysit your pet while you're there. They'll uh, have daycare for your children, grocery store, get your dry cleaning taken care of. Anything that you need done while you work there is okay. 
And, and they say that it's one of the fun, most fun ones to work for because it's developed products such as Gmail and AdSense and Google Glass and GPS technology and is also working on self-driving cars. Uh, it's got things such as pool tables and, and bowling alleys on the job and free food and gym memberships. There's even somebody whose sole job is to make sure the employees are happy. The chief happiness officer. Uh, there's a book. Uh, there, I went out a book. Uh, well, a book called Work Rules, written by Laszlo Bach, who is Google's senior vice president of uh, people operations and responsible for attracting and developing uh, and retaining the best employees. And he says he offers a ton of advice uh, and when you want to run a good company. He says you need to take away managers and power over the employees. And then you need to learn from your best employees and your worst. He says to pay unfairly, meaning if you can do more than the next person, you ought to get paid more than the next person and only hire people who are smarter than you, no matter how long it takes to fi uh, find them. And if you're comfortable with the amount of uh, freedom you've given your employees, he says you haven't given them enough freedom. Uh, they have a rule at Google, which is called the 20% rule. Larry Page and Cindy Brin, who founded uh, the, the company when they wanted to take it public, had it in their 2004 letter, and they said, we encourage employees, in addition to their regular projects, to spend 20% of their time working on what they think will most benefit Google. This empowers them to be more creative and innovative, and many of our significant advances have happened in this manner. You get to spend 20% of your time working on what you want to work on. My, my you go into the job and you say, I want to work on this instead of having uh, your boss tell you what you're going to work on that day. But uh, you get to do 20% of that. You get to give 20% of what you want to Google. However, there is some debate on whether the 20% rule actually exists still. Uh, Box says that only about 10% of the people employed by Google use it, but that it doesn't matter as long as we have the idea that, of it that exists. He says that the concept of the 20% uh, rule is waxed and waned over time. It's not technically something that gets formal management oversight, and they aren't forced to work on additional projects. There's no written guidelines about it, but typically employees who have an idea separate from their regular jobs will spend about 5 to 10% of the time on it until it starts to demonstrate an impact. At that point, it then takes up most of their time, and it becomes a real project. And so they get to spend 20% of what they want on something. And, and I thought about that, and this applies to the text when uh, we talk about it, because that's nice for your job to demand 20%. That's real nice. It's fun. But we don't serve a 20% God. All right. All right. We don't serve a 20% God. God. And so while Google 
people who work for Google are kind of working around to see what's going on, to see whether or not it's worthwhile to take off. Well, they get to spend a little bit of time on something until it takes off. And then once it takes off, if it's doing good for the company, they get to focus all on it. Uh, God focused all on us from the very beginning. Uh, And so we have this passage demanding 100% of somebody. And it's interesting because this is a conversation about money, just like the last passage was. Pastor, you you talked about divorce last week. I did. And that was about money, too. Uh, Most of the time, people didn't marry for love back then. They married for political alignment. They married so that certain resources could come together. If I have a son that was in one business and I knew somebody that had a daughter and they are in a business that is complementary to me, then our children got married so that our companies could merge. And so Jesus was talking about economics during this time because economics was important. Uh, Jesus is coming closer to Jerusalem during this time. If you read Mark 1 all the way through Mark 16, he's on a path. And the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the more important what he talks about becomes. And he starts getting a little more discomforting. The sermons that he has don't feel as good anymore. Uh, he's, he's working on these things. And earlier, in the, when he spoke upon a, a divorce and messing around with regions and relationships and talking about loyalty and integrity, he, it was discouraging. And so he steps out from talking about marriage to folk money. Uh, and, and, and so in the text, he's approached by somebody while he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the text says uh, that the the man ran and knelt before him and said, Good teacher, what should I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Could I stop right there and just vent a little bit? I, I, I have a personal pet peeve. This wasn't a part of the sermon, but when I see it in the text and since I spent all of that money and time and hours going to seminary, I'm figuring I'm going to talk about it. All right. When I have a conversation with somebody and they say, hey Johnny, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Don't say you good. The Bible says only God is good. Funny thing about the Bible, the Bible was in Greek and Hebrew, and and the words of Jesus was in Aramaic. The Old Testament was in Hebrew, and then it got translated to Greek, which we call a Septuagint, and then it got translated to Latin, then it got translated to English, and that's why King James is so popular, because he was the first one to pay for it to be translated into English. You had to learn Latin before that. But in that process, when you look at the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic, There were over 11,000 words or more used for the Bible. But when it got translated to English, it's about 6,000 words. 11 is is more than six all day long. Uh, the, the, The Greeks had over 18 words 
for our English word good? 18. So when he said, don't call me good, the word that he used would not have translated into good. In the Greek, it's like pronounced agatheos. And anytime you see theos in something in the Greek, that means God. So a better translation would have been godly. Don't call me godly or godlike, because God is God. But we've put people into bondage with these kind of interactions, not just to, not to say good, but not to say certain things. We wrapped up in something because we looked at the English literal translation of it and got caught up. So now I go out in my way when somebody asks me how I'm doing to say I'm good because I won't allow them to, to trap me up with that. But this person says, what may I do to inherit eternal life? We all want eternal life. Uh, some of us were here just yesterday uh, to celebrate the home going celebra- to celebrate the home going of Sister Tony. And it's a sobering fact that we all are going to have to come that way soon. Uh, My district superintendent's mom says all the time, this does not last forever. So people are looking for what they want to do in the by and by. And so he asks, what must I do to uh, obtain eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and mentions the laws, kind of skips over it and mentions the laws and do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he says that the man says that he's been following these rules since birth. Well, there's a little more to it than just following the rules. There were people who didn't even believe in what we called God, they, but they still followed those rules. And so there's a little more about it. You need to give up your possessions, abandon your possessions. And the ruler, the, the, some texts call him rich, young ruler. Uh, some call him uh, a man. When you look at this text in Matthew and Luke, Luke, he's referred to rich in one and young in the other, but he's big enough to be in charge. He's got some status. And Jesus tells them to abandon the status and follow the Lord. And he walks away sad because he is very rich. Yeah. And, and they go through these, this discussion. And after the man walks away, he says that one thing you lack, go your way and sell whatever you have to give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me and he walks away and as he walks away Jesus provides more explanation to the disciples and he says that it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter God and you know I apologize last week because we've used uh, these passages the passage about divorce to make people stay in a relationship that they they did not need to be we've also used this passage to bash rich people mm-hmm. we don't want to talk about money we don't want the pastor to talk about money if somebody's gotten money we assume that they got money through some sort of illegal means or defrauding people 
Uh, but the problem, and I'll get to it just a little bit later, the problem was not about the provision. The problem was about priorities. The problem was not that he was just rich and he told him to sell his possessions. The problem was about priorities. That's why he says how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And then he comes back. That was verse 23. He, he clears it up and explains it even more in verse 24. Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. Right. We read 23 and we bash on people and stop talking about money. If you got money, you bad. Actually, when you look at the way the Hebrew culture was disturbed, they, they talk about it. We, there's another one that we, we uh, misquote. The, the love of money is the root of all evil or money is the root of all evil. The text actually says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Amen. So it's not the money that's a problem. The problem is how you feel about it. The problem is what kind of priority you place on it. The problem is what you do with the money. Not having the money is not a problem. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, we go right to 23, and then we skip over 24, and then we go right to the camel through the eye of a needle. Rich man ain't getting into heaven. But it's not about the money. It's about the mindset. I'll never forget. I went to a fellowship of Christian athletes meeting uh, right after moving uh, down here to to the Houston area to go to school. And there had this gentleman that was a, a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he came to talk to all of these school-aged children. And somebody asked him, you know, how do you uh, uh, witness to the other football players? And how do you do this? And how do you deal with all these other things? And how do you get them to realize this, that, and the third? And he says, you don't. They have to change on their own. Because you're talking to somebody that has a whole bunch of money in the bank. They're famous. Uh, and this was like 98, so they, they, this was before social media, which they probably would have been even more famous then. They have a lot of stuff going for them and a lot of people following them around. And he said the problem is not that they have reached that status. He said the problem, though, is when they reach that status, whatever was in them comes out more because there's nobody there to tell them no. When they have that elevated status, people let them do whatever it is they want to do. And so sometimes having the too much resources, again, the, the resources is not the problem. The problem is that it removes your inhibitions. And if you remove your inhibitions, you're willing to do whatever it is that comes to mind. If we didn't have to pay bills, a lot of us probably wouldn't get up and work in the morning. We do whatever it is, but we understand that Texas, New Mexico, and Power and Centerpoint doesn't doesn't they don't work off of attaboys. And so the problem is not the riches. The problem is that once they get there, the issues that they had to work on, there's no nothing preventing them from from doing them anymore. And so he says, but the disciples say, well, if that's the problem, then who all then who then can be saved? 
And Jesus looked at him and said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Amen. When he tells them to, 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 to sell all of his possessions, it's about a radical sacrifice. He's not asking for 20%. He's asking for all of this man. And he does not hate the rich man. Uh, verse 21 says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Yes. Right there in 21, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. So if Jesus loved that rich young man, that rich young ruler, and we call ourselves Christians, which means we're supposed to be like Jesus, then what are we supposed to be doing? Amen lights, amen screens. We're here to follow what Jesus did. And so again, the problem is not the money. The problem is the priority. And it gives him, the text gives him a positive image. It's us who have put the negative image on that person. And he says to take up your cross and follow me. So whatever it is that you have put in between you and God, let it go. Take up your cross and follow him. Amen. The kingdom of God is, 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 not, uh, 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 is not just a something that's going to happen uh, in the future. It's a right now. Uh, when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand, uh, Mark has some literal Greek about it. That means it is literally at hand. What can you be doing for the kingdom of God that is within arm's reach of you? It's nice to go to church. The Bible says we need to assemble ourselves. But what good is it to go to church and participate in these fundraisers and these raffles and, and do these things for the church if you walk past your fellow man and act like they don't exist when they are suffering? The kingdom of God is literally at hand. And, and, and to take up your cross, the cross was not something that was, we wear it for jewelry and we put it in our logos and on our rings and, and necklaces and all of these things. And it has become something very fancy. But that is what they did to common criminals. That's tantamount these days to walking around with an electric chair. This was a sacrifice that was called. If it was going to be easy, everybody would do it. Uh -huh. But we ought to take up our cross and follow Christ. There you go. He gave us the example. He put on that human flesh and lived a life that we couldn't live. And died a death that we could not die. And there are plenty of things he could have done instead, but he chose to die. He chose to give himself up for us. And we have to be willing because Jesus was able to give up himself for us. We have to be willing to give up those idols. Those things we think that we cannot absolutely without a doubt do without. If it's not God, then we ought to be able to do without it. Because he says that anything that we give up, we will be rewarded a hundredfold. 
This life is but a blink of an eye in eternity. Only what you do for Christ will last. And so we, uh, this is not about changing what we do with the money as it is about changing what we do with our mindset. But we're able to do it, not on our own. It seems hard because we're thinking about how we're going to be able to do it by our own power. But Jesus says that with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And so we ought not give God our 20%. We ought to be giving God our all. Jesus gave his all on Calvary. We ought to be able to give our all for him. Jesus gave his all when he went to that hill called Calvary and got the nails in his hands and the piercing in his side and the crown of thorns on his head. He gave his all. He gave his all when they wrote, here lies Jesus, king of the Jews. He gave his all when he died and he gave his all when he rose again. And so because he gave his all, We ought to be able to give our all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook. 